Hello, this is Brian Janikowski, Friday, June 28th, end of the quarter, end of the half year. I'm Christian Thwaites. I'm Emily Takenverts, and let's get started with this week's market chat. So Christian, uh, we have the G20 meeting coming up this weekend. Um, what do you expect for this? To, what do you expect to happen? Oh boy, everybody has been uh, uh, talking about this for the last uh, couple of months. I mean, G7, G20 meetings tend to be very high on headline value, but very little, very low on sort of substance value. And most people sort of sign a uh, you know declaration that they all agree on something fairly anodyne. But uh, uh, this one is really not about the gene 20. It's really about China and uh, and America and whether or not some sort of deal or postponement of the tariffs will will, will come about. Um, so I think that's what everyone is looking for. And, um, you know, as we're talking here on Friday afternoon, West Coast time. So, um, you know, within the next 24 hours, we'll know if there's been some sort of discussion between the two or some sort of um, announcements. So we're going to have a week of, uh, you know, a few days of just sort of on tenderhooks for this. But the early indications seem to be that uh, I don't think it'll be a deal. I think it's more likely to be a postponement or that the 25% tariffs on the $300 billion are mostly consumer goods or at least encompassing consumer goods because the last rounds have not really covered, uh, they've covered intermediate goods and primary goods and not really end consumer goods will not be 25% but more like 10%. So so yeah, that's what we're waiting on. And also at the same time in the G20, we've got, um, you know, so someone like Angela Merkel, who's, you know, announced her retirement. Theresa May is out there who's about to leave anyway. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of other, uh, you know, broad agreements on, uh, on, on any other issues. In terms of, of those two scenarios of either a deal, some sort of deal or postponement, um, as that relates to markets, what do you what do you expect to happen if a we we have a deal or b we have a postponement? Is a postponement a simply kind of a non-event? No, I, I think both of those the market will like in the short term. Uh, I mean, we've talked about this. The market has sort of rallied on, you know, trade news. Pretty much, uh, well, I, I has moved on trade news. I should say sometimes it's rallied, sometimes it's been hurt. Uh, you know, certainly for most of this year and a good chunk of last year as well. So um, I don't think this is the end. It can't conceivably be the end of, of trade uh, discussions that the administration is planning to have. So I, I, I think if there is some deal, the, the best that could be would be um, China agrees to buy more food products. That's about the only thing we can really uh, offer them at this point. Um, and and um, the, the, the U.S., uh, you know, begins to sort of collapse down the the, the tariffs um, on on the on the goods that they passed so far. But uh, that'll be the best possible deal. There have been some rumors around that that uh, any deal that China would enter into enter into would have to include something around easing the restrictions around Huawei. Do you think that that's yeah. going to happen? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know because. Uh, you know the, the the UK and large parts of the EU have don't take the same position on Huawei as the US does. So if the US starts to impose sanctions on Huawei, you know more than just forbidding them or preventing them from using US uh, intellectual property and goods and and making it difficult for them to sell their products and five G networks here. If they start going after you know countries that actually do business with them, that would be that would be very you know. Very bad indeed. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's very difficult to to understand which way this administration is going to tilt on mm -hmm. this. But uh, my guess is it'll be a little less moderate than than they're talking about. A little, a, a little, um, a better outcome than the kind of more extreme talk that's going on. The other thing is, is, is you wrote about that, um, you know, this trade war has really hurt um, China or has the potential to hurt China as well as the emerging markets much more than it, that it has um, potential to hurt the U.S. Um, though, do you think that um, Xi Jinping in, in China will be, um, will that be enough pressure for him to take a deal? Will the economic pressure be enough for him to take a deal? Um, because he's facing a lot of kind of political uncertainty um, around kind of national unity and, and yeah. kind of the strength of the party in China as well. Well, that's, again, uh, you know, kind of t looking through all of the different things that can t can turn in China is is pretty difficult. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's I think he's facing a lot of internal pressure because it's not just the export market there. It's, it's the internal debt and leverage of the country, which is... Which is um, you know, really beginning to hurt. And there's this, there's a lot of talk now, there's a book that came out by Peter Magnus a year ago um, called Red Flags, which you know, really says that China's got some very major problems independent of tariffs. Uh, and it's to do with leverage, uh, you know, particularly in the, not just the government sector, but the local government sector and the state-owned state uh, enterprises as well as individual uh, uh, leverage. So, yeah, I think um, there'll be a lot of pressure for, for Xi to 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 make a deal, but not a deal at any cost. Because if he does that, then some of his political autonomy and some of his political authority is going to be undermined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's going to, you know, he, they, they, they don't, I think, want a, a, any uh, any hint that the, the authority of the Communist Party is being, is, is you know, can, can take pressure from an outside um, uh, power like the U.S. Mm -hmm. You also wrote at length uh, in in this week's blog about the about emerging markets, and they yeah. had a um, pretty bad year last year. But how are they doing thus far this year? Better. I mean, uh, the 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 best emerging market by far was China. It was up twenty five percent pretty rapidly at the beginning of the year. Um, it's since backed off a little bit, but uh, you know the the rest of the emerging markets have made about eleven twelve percent return. Uh, compared to the U.S. at about 16 or 17, as we stand. So definitely come back. Um, but I think the, 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 the big sort of catalyst on the China side, I think, is, is going to be down to the exchange rate. Um, last year, the dollar was strong for the simple reason that interest rates were going up, as we know, you know four times that the Fed raised, raised rates, while really no other central bank around the world did, any, any of the larger central banks anyway. Uh, so that put upward pressure on the dollar. And when the dollar is strong, that makes it tough for emerging markets. A lot of their currencies are tied to the dollar. They have external debt. And uh, a lot of their rates and currencies you know, have to match the interest rates. Um, or you know, otherwise, their currency is going to get pummeled. So, um, so that we, you know, we kind of looked and we, we put this graph together, which kind of shows that in, in, in dollar strength times, emerging dollar weakness, I should say, uh, emerging markets do very well and vice versa. Uh, and what we had last year was the dollar being strong uh, and a bad year for emerging markets. This year, we've just only recently in the last you know, three or four weeks seen uh, the US dollar 
uh, weaken a little bit. And if that continues, I think it would be very good for emerging markets. So are we seeing some of the risks to emerging markets, A, the strong dollar, um, B, rising interest rates, uh, dissipating a little bit? Uh, I think so. The other thing that happens with emerging markets is that you have so many countries in there. Uh, I mean, the big India, China, Brazil, Russia, a whole swath of Eastern European, Argentina, um, Kuwait's just about to go in, Saudi's just come in. As well as these other, you know, Asian countries, is that a single story tends to pollute the entire emerging market uh, universe. So last year was a good example. There's a bad things going on in Argentina. Well, Argentina is less than two percent of the emerging markets index, but immediately people thought this is, you know, th this is bad for emerging markets. Just the whole lot sold, sold off. And I think that, you know, we've had a preponderance of bad news, whether it's you know, China, India, now in a bit of a trade scrap with the U.S., although I don't think it's very meaningful volumes. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, obviously, you know, Russia's bounced back quite a bit this year. But uh, I, I think once all the bad news is out there, then there's only one way for it to go. And I think, you know, the pessimism on emerging markets is pretty bad right now. Mm -hmm. and, has, and I think we're beginning to see... Once it gets bad, then all the then then that's when the values start to present themselves, and I think that that's what's beginning to happen. Will we see a uh, Fed cut at the next meeting? I uh, the Fed has certainly prepped the market for that, and I would say that the market is way ahead of them. I mean, now you've got ten-year rates at two percent, flirting with an, a below two percent number. Fed funds at two and a half percent, so that is a wildly inverted yield curve, uh, you know, all the way out to about year seven. It's not entirely inverted like it was in 2006, seven, but, you know, it's it's getting there. Um, so the market is pricing in, you know, one, two, possibly as much as three cuts, which I think is overdoing it. Uh, unless something really bad happens. I mean, the economy is slowing. We know that. We got the uh, third revision of the Q1 GDP numbers, so they were coming in at over 3%. All the numbers are pointing to, you know, a sub 2% number for the U.S. Uh, for, for the U.S. In, sec in second quarter, but that's not a recession. And, you know, PC inflation is 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 not moving anywhere, but it's not it's not negligible and zero either. Uh, and, you know, the good. Uh, high-frequency data early indicators for recession, in other words, data that comes out often and is accurate, and it's been pretty good indicators for recession, namely claims and unemployment, are not pointing to anything like, uh, you know, a, a recession. And I would say if you're going to have two cuts or more to the to the Fed funds rate, you're talking about a recession. So um, I, I think if the numbers continue as they are for the next month, we won't see a cut in July. Now, if the market is already pricing that in, <laughs> what will be then the reaction? And if there is a, a, a negative reaction to a non-rate cut, will the Fed be able to kind of communicate its way out of, um, in terms yeah. of dovish talk and communication, out of a, a huge kind of backlash around that non-rate cut? Yeah, but I don't think there'll be a backlash. I mean, to answer okay. your first question, I, I think if there wasn't one in July, that you know, unless they change the language substantially... Okay then it would still be pretty soft, and they, I don't think rates would move. Um, so, you know, right now, treasuries are still in the ascendant. Uh, you know, they're, they're still, um, you know, compared to other uh, sovereign bonds, they've still got a very good yield on them.
Um, and, uh, and so I think the market would just say, okay, well, if it's not, if it's not July, it's going to be the next one. I don't think there would be a big sell-off in Treasury. Would be my major, major concern. The only sell-off we're going to see in Treasury is if, if the economy takes off or there's a big upsurge in inflation, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. And I wanted to just lastly wanted to talk about Treasuries because they've made quite a run in the yeah. last you know eight months or so. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that and tell us uh, you know how bonds and Treasuries have been acting and how that relates to how equities have been acting as well. Yeah, well, well uh, Treasuries um, yield peaked around about last uh, uh, um, July August after the sort of you know blowout second quarter GDP numbers following the tax cuts at about three point two percent and they've been sinking ever since so you know there's about two percent so on a ten year treasury including coupon that that's that's a you know total return of about thirteen percent that doesn't happen very often in a, in a ten year treasury so we've had a very good run and I think it's to do with obviously the Fed coming out very dovish in January, continues to be very dovish about things, you know, taking the rate hikes first off the table, now sort of, you know, no action, data dependent, and now sort of, you know, hinting that if they have to take a rate cut, uh, they will. So that's all been, you know, grist to the mill for sort of, you know, for, for, for why treasuries have been good. And I also remember that it, it, it is a very good, highly liquid um, uh, risk off asset. So, the, you know, if there's a big risk-off play, there's very few places people can go to. They can go to gold, but that, you know, that does well in a zero interest rate environment. And it's, you know, so personally don't believe it's a very good haven uh, asset, but, uh, but it, that it's there. It's the yen um, and it's treasuries. And, uh, and, and you can go to the Swiss franc, but that's, you know, why, why would you buy a currency which negative, has a negative yield of, you know, 1%. So, you know, treasuries are really the only game in town with the size and, and dur duration uh, options and choices as well as the sheer depth of it. So, you know, I, I would say that, you know, treasuries are still a pretty good bet. And, what, and the second part to answer your question is, what does it do for equities? Quite Quite simply, it says that, you know interest rates are going to remain low. That makes equities good for two reasons. First of all, any com any company with with debt, uh, of which there are quite a few, obviously, uh, is going to do much better. And it also makes the valuation of equities um, you know that much more attractive because if you're comparing the S and P on 17, 16 times earnings with a two and a half percent yield, mm -hmm. and the Treasury goes from three percent to nearly two percent. That just makes uh, equities less of a risk mm -hmm. to, to hold in comparison to bonds. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. Please join us next week. Thank you, everybody. And um, here's our disclosure. Please note this discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investment investment strategy at day of this commentary. Subject to change without notice. Cannot assure the type of investments discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, but we can guarantee that such investment will represent the best or risk attractive adjustment investment in the future for general purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The security is mentioned in this commentary of the only, only several of the successful as well as unsuccessful investment buyers do not represent all the securities we purchase or recommended. Although we deem reliable the source of the statistical information referred to this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements of numerical data, past performance, no indication of future results.